0: Today we're going to pick up in Hebrews in chapter 7. And chapter 7 kind of picks up where chapter 5 left off. So we made a jump. Last week we had kind of a parenthesis in chapter 6. But in chapter 5, uh, we were introduced told that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And there was a little bit about that in chapter 5, but then Chapter 6 comes and says, but you ought to know more than you know. You ought to be moving forward, making progress. You ought to be teaching by now. You ought to be off the foundational things and, and building off of those things. And then it talked about patience and the example of Abraham. And Abraham, what a mighty example for patience. He got the promise when he was 75. He didn't start to see it fulfilled until... He was 100, 25 years later, although there were hints of it along the way. We'll see part of that in a little bit here. But patience, patience, and then it ended with hope at the end of chapter 6, that we have an anchor of the soul. How many people need hope in today's world? <laughs> I mean, it's been a prayer of mine. Romans fifteen thirteen says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. We need to ask God to help us, strengthen us in our inner man, so we have found in hope. But these chapters in Hebrews are trying to give us the fuel, the wood, for the Holy Spirit to ignite. And the hope is found in the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And now you might think, well, the world is rocking right now. My world's rocking. What, what's What's going to bring hope about the high priest? Isn't that Old Testament concept? And how's that applied? You know, well, I've got I've got problems. I got things going on, and the world is shaking. And, and we're going to just talk about a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Sounds pretty religious, actually. And uh, well, remember that the book of Hebrews was written to uh, some Jewish Christians, and their world was rocking. Uh, some of them were getting their goods plundered. Some of them were getting thrown in jail. Some, probably excommunicated from the synagogue the reputation for being thrown in the dirt and they were starting to question is it worth it following god and and we can come to our own situation and say the world is going haywire crazy and it it doesn't seem like god is here at the moment you know we're, we're undergoing some of these troubles and things and what's what's going on and so we're not in two different i mean it's a very different situation but the same same thing is going on we need some encouragement for hope and so the author of Hebrews is building a great uh argument for hope based on the high priest uh, Jesus who is in the order of Melchizedek and hope is always based on better how many of you could use a better situation how many of you would like to be better How many of you would like to hear some better news? Better, better, better. Hope always comes in brings something better. And now when we talk about priesthood, the Jewish Christians would normally go back to the tribe of Levi because in the law, the priests were coming from the line of Levi. It was according to the law. You had to be a part of this line. And so they were probably wondering, Jesus was not from the line of Levi. He was from the line of Judah also the lion of Judah, if you could use the point words there. But he was from the line of Judah, so they're probably thinking, well, you know, am I in the right place here? But hope always brings in something better, and so the argument here is that God is bringing in something better than the, the priesthood based on the law. He's actually going back to something that was before the law, and because God brings in something better, we can have a hope that is stronger and God provided His best, and because He provided His best in Jesus, we can have better—even the best. So, how is it that Jesus is better? How is it that He even qualifies for the priest position, the high priest position? And you might say, "Well, God's offering me something better, but I don't deserve it. I don't—you uh, know—I haven't really lived up to what I should be living up to, and I've messed up, and all this." Well, that's exactly the point of a high priest. That's why we. High priest is the one that is, again, the go-between, between us and the Lord. It is the anointed position in the Old Covenant of the one filling in the gap, making atonement for the people of Israel, the people of God, and covering their sins. The difference with Jesus is he's not just covering our sins, but he takes them away. And in the Old Covenant, the priesthood, according to Levi, was a temporary thing. There was... There was a high priest, but then the high priest would eventually die. But we're going to see here that uh, this is a priesthood ordained according to one who, in figure, in type, did not die. And it points to Jesus who does not die. And so we start with uh, verses 1 through 4 in chapter 7. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Before we go further, we're going to look at that again. When he met Abraham Genesis chapter 14, Abraham had just got finished slaughtering uh, kings of four nations that were coming after Sodom and Lot. He had to deliver Lot. And he went through this great battle and he has victory. And then Melchizedek comes out to bless him. So Hebrews verse two, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated, this is Melchizedek, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. All right, so let's go back to Genesis and see what happened here. Remember, Melchizedek, we are just told to consider how great a man this is. All right, so everybody consider how great a man this is. Melchizedek only was talked about in four verses in the Bible. It's amazing. There was no explanation. He just comes in and makes a cameo. You know, a cameo appearance. You know, you watch a movie and they tell you who the big stars are, but they don't tell you that there's a huge star that's going to make a short, brief appearance. And he comes in and makes a brief appearance, and the audience goes, oh, that's so, so, so. And and so maybe didn't even get listed in the credits. But that's a cameo. And uh, a cameo, you know, the draw of a cameo is that this person's pretty big, and he's in our picture, Right? Well, Melchizedek just made a cameo in the Old Testament scriptures, and it seemed like it could have been very, you know, not so significant, only four verses written about him. But later on, the Holy Spirit comes in under the inspiration of the author, uh, inspiring the author of the New Testament. He comes in and gives two chapters of explanation to show just how big this man is. Let's consider how great he is. And We can also learn something about that. His appearance was very brief and yet very significant. And our appearance is very brief. And don't anyone ever think that you're insignificant. God has us here for just this time. It's a brief time on this planet, but because of the work of Jesus that we just sang about, because he died for us, purchased us, because he bled for us, We are in a position of great significance. It might feel like we're just making a cameo appearance here, and in some respects we are, but don't forget the cameos are the big stars. And I'm not saying that to puff us up. I'm just saying that Jesus had done that. Jesus had made us something significant, extraordinary, and big. And if we could relish that, if we could come to accept that by faith, it would cause us to walk with a greater uh, skip in our step, I guess, or more of a joy and a hope knowing that we're not just here trying to fumble around, making our way through, but God has significance assigned to us because of what Jesus had done. So here's what what happened in the cameo. If we look at Genesis 14, 18 to 20, this is after uh, Abraham got the victory. Now, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham. Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. All right, so first of all, Melchizedek came from Salem, and Salem, it was actually the ancient name for Jerusalem. And Jerusalem... Shalom is, is Salem, Shalom, sounds like Shalom, right? It means the same thing, peace. And that's where we get, he is a king of peace. But his name, Melchizedek, Tzedek, is righteousness. Mel, Melech is king, Melchizedek. Sounds like clear my throat. Uh, but he is a king of righteousness. So you got a king of righteousness, we see righteousness and peace. After Abraham, Abraham had just had this amazing victory, At the same time, the king of Sodom came out and said, oh, you can keep all your stuff and just give me my people back. And Abram said, I'm not keeping your stuff. I don't want you to say that I made Abram rich. I want God to be the one who's my source. He barely gave the king of Sodom any notice. He, he, He pretty much shunned him. And Melchizedek instead, not only does he give him notice, but he receives the bread and wine. The bread and wine being a symbol of what? Communion. Body and blood of Jesus, the righteousness and peace, the refreshment after a battle. Bread and wine would signify refreshment for being refreshed with that, but also it's the refreshment it's a symbol, of the refreshment that comes through the body and blood of Jesus, the King of righteousness, the King of peace, and that His righteousness and peace is ours. If it was just righteousness, we'd be in, in a problem here. We needed peace along with righteousness because we were not righteous. We needed Jesus and his body and blood given for us so that we could have peace and be righteous. It's it's a wonderful hint of what's to come, and it's right there in the book of Genesis. And he also confirmed uh, God's victory to Abraham. I want to say Abraham, but at this point it's still Abraham, right? So he, he gives him and says, the Lord's the possessor of heaven and earth, and he has given you this great victory. And that's something also to think about when we take communion, bread and wine. We're, we're celebrating a great victory because it was on the cross that Jesus won the victory and brought righteousness and peace to those who would receive it. And verse 7-2 says he was king of righteousness and peace. Jesus is our righteousness according to Jeremiah thirty three sixteen. He's our peace according to Ephesians two fourteen in Hebrews 7.2 says that Melchizedek was without genealogy. And like I said before, the Jewish priesthood was based on genealogy. You had to be traced from the line of Aaron. But Melchizedek had no beginning or end. And some people say, well, what kind of person was this? He has no beginning or end. Was he an alien? Was he an angel? Or was he a pre-incarnation of Jesus? And there's different theories and And uh, things put out there, speculations, but ultimately I think the most reasonable answer is he was just a normal man at that time and just happened to not get his genealogy recorded, and the Holy Spirit picks up on what is recorded and makes a symbol, makes a type of it. Because it was very important to record genealogies in the Old Testament to show who was from where. We get genealogies all over the place to show where people came from. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this genealogy is missing this is just a cameo appearance and because it's missing the author picks up on that and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this is one who is a picture of an endless life and in that way he's made like the Son of God Wow he's made like the Son of God and we can look and say that is great the same thing because of what he represents and because Jesus is our righteousness and peace. We are made like the Son of God. Suddenly, we're not bound to our genealogy. You say, I've got a rotten line. Well, your line is made new in Jesus Christ. You say, I, I, I can't get over it. You've got a new beginning because you are made like the Son of God. That's the gospel. The gospel is not just forgiveness of sins. It's not just to get us through the day, but it's to make us like the Son of God. And even as Melchizedek was a priest and a king, there were no priest kings outside of Melchizedek in the Old Covenant. It was the, the tribe of Levi were the priests, and no kings could take upon them the priesthood, and no priests would become kings. But in Revelation one six, it says that Jesus has made us a kingdom, of kings and priests. So we are made like the Son of God, and Jesus stands above the tribe of Levi because the Lord. Swore and would not relent that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that's what's reported, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself there. He's made like unto God. We're made like unto God. We're not bound to genealogy. We're not bound to the past, and we're not bound to death because we have an endless life in Melchizedek, in, in Jesus. And that's how we're made like the Son of God. But now it's turning it around saying, well, Jesus is also according to this order, and what's important about that. Abraham confirmed that it was important because Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And this is uh, where a tithe comes from. The tithe, tithe means a tenth. And some people get uptight when you talk about tithing. In church, the tithing is actually, it was part of the law, and the law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We are not under law, but... Both the tithe and the Sabbath predate the law, as we can see with Abraham. Abraham willingly gave, willingly gave. And this is something that tells us, just as this, this is actually, actually chapter 14, Genesis 14 has a lot of firsts. I talked about the, uh, the defeat over the kings. That's the first recorded war in the Bible, and it's the first record of a high priest. It's the first mention of Salem, which is Jerusalem, which will come back again and again. And it's the first mention of a tithe. All these things predate the law. And it shows that Abraham was willing to give and invest in this cameo appearance, Melchizedek, when he rejected the king of Sodom, who probably would stand as having a greater authority and power in the world, who was going to give him something, He refused to take something from the king of Sodom and instead opted to give willingly a tenth to the priest Melchizedek. And so it goes on in uh, verses 5 through 10, and we won't won't go into 5 and 10, but I want to just give you a summary of what's happening there. The summary is, is that it talks about the tithing still. It talks about how the Levites actually tithe. In Abraham. What? That's weird. How do you do that? Well, go back to Adam and Eve. And, you know, how Adam fell, and supposedly, uh, well, not supposedly, we all fell in Adam. We were in the loins of Adam, right? And so we were just going, sin passed on to the rest of mankind. We inherited something through Adam. The Levites were not yet born the priests who would receive tithes from the people. They would actually be considered as tithing through Abraham to Melchizedek. Everybody (laughs) doesn't think that's what? No. What I'm saying is the priesthood required a tithe. And that meant the priests were something special. But in figure, they themselves tithed through Abraham. So in that sense, they are saying this is greater because even the priesthood who would receive tithes, who would be esteemed and honored, they, in a sense, through Abraham, are giving to this great high priest, Melchizedek. So it's saying your your order of priesthood is, is fine for what it was, but this is something higher. Even your priesthood, through Abraham, tithed and gave to Melchizedek. And we just mentioned that, again, the tithing was not law-based in this sense. It was willing. Some people say, why do I have to tithe? Is church membership pay my dues? No. Why did Abraham willingly give to Melchizedek? It's because he saw righteousness and peace. He saw the glory of God. He showed an investment in the kingdom. The reason we tithe and we do it willingly is because it is a faith act. It is a faith act and a worship act that we put our money where our mouth is, but really it's where our heart is. Jesus said, where your treasure, uh, where your heart is, let me make sure I don't get that messed up. where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's no greater test of where your treasure, your heart is than your finances. Um, but Jesus doesn't just want our finances, he wants all of us, but a great test of faith in your finances. And tithing is a way of showing worship in a faith act. Trusting God, saying, I know that God is my source, and that God will use this, and it'll be a blessing, and then we have a lot we could go into, we're not going to, but you get blessed in return. It's a great spiritual thing to do. Alright, so, um, Levi tied through Abraham, and all of this is pulling the Hebrews into an argument of, Christ is the better high priest, the better high priest. So verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 7, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Levi came from Aaron. So why? Why did we need this high priest? It's because there was a need. The law was inadequate in restoring us to fellowship with God. And the law was about outward things, ceremonies, cleansings, observances. In righteousness and peace, we're talking about Melchizedek, we're talking about inward things. And no matter what you did, as far as an outward act of the law, it could not change your inward part we needed something more. And if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood or the law, then we wouldn't have needed something else. But because it couldn't touch the inside, it was mostly based on the outer shell. We needed something that would work better. And that's why uh, the argument here is saying, you've got a hope in a high priest because he he is in the order of Melchizedek. And he quotes the verse, we're going to jump to 18, but in verse 17, it says, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In Psalm 1:10-4, this is where the other verse is in the Old Testament. It says, this, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. He took an oath. All right, so bookmark that. In verse 18 and 19, it says, "For On the one hand, there is a nulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitable, The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Okay. So here's the double blessing associated with Melchizedek. And again, now you might be saying, why is he talking about hope and Melchizedek and priesthood? Again, our world is rocking. We need some kind of help. And this is what we're getting at. Your help is in God, your help is in a restored relationship with God. Your help is in the strength that God promises. Your help is in the blessings that God promises. Your help is in the peace and the salvation and that God is with you. And all of these things cannot be constant and helpful if the circuits keep getting cut. The circuits keep getting cut. I messed up today, or I didn't do this observance, or I didn't do this ceremony, or I had this wrong thought. Things like that. We need someone to go between us so that we can enjoy the presence of God, that we can have the strength and the power of God. And this is what happens. The high priest makes that possible. But it couldn't happen through the priests of of the former commandment. This is an annulling of the former commandment. The law would not give us that peace, that restoration of fellowship. It was a mistake to believe that you could be justified by Holding to the law even Paul said in Philippians he said that I kept the law perfectly but that wasn't good now he considered it all that rubbish he said and so here's the double blessing what Jesus did annulled that because of the oath about Melchizedek and and he brought in a better hope the law could do nothing what was the purpose of the law then the law was there to show us our need for salvation Show us our need for Jesus in Galatians. It says the law was a tutor a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ And now here's something if you're ever feeling guilty or feeling uh, Like oh, I can never get it right and uh, oh god must be angry with everything Chances are you're still operating under a law mindset. Yes, you believe the gospel But you are under a, a law mentality because you are getting down you're getting out. You're not enjoying the fact that it was annulled and that you have a better hope. You have better hope in a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And you think, I'm not measuring up, but that's what a high priest is for. To cover you, to get you through. And here's what he did. This is the better hope. Colossians 2, 13 to 14. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all. Can we all say all? All. There's not one trespass that's still clinging to you, even though you might still be clinging to it. But he's forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And this is the better hope by which we draw near to god we draw near to god because of the high priest we can go because of the high priest and the high priest is an endless without genealogy so he has endless patience he has endless love he has endless comfort he has endless health he has endless supply and it's a better deal the old covenant priests, they would die. They would have to cover for themselves, and then they would die, and they have to have a new one. But the thing about Jesus is, he doesn't die. And in verse 20 to 22, inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath for him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. All right, again, that might sound confusing, but what it means is that those priests, the Levi priests, they didn't come by an oath from God. And God doesn't even have to make an oath because he doesn't lie. We learned that, we I mean we knew that, but it says that specifically in the previous chapter. It's impossible for God to lie. But to add extra sauce to it, he says he gave an oath. And Melchizedek made a cameo appearance, right, in Genesis 14. And it wasn't until Psalm 110, verse 4, which was hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, that somehow Melchizedek comes to mind and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David writes, you are a priest forever. The Lord has sworn. He gave an oath. It was a prophetic declaration saying, I've got you covered. I know that this law, isn't doing everything that you would, would expect it to do, but I have you covered, even before the law, I provided this man as an example of what's to come. It was a prophetic thing. Hundreds of years later, after he walked the earth, there was a prophetic statement. And maybe when we're all dead and gone and, and the next generations are up, maybe something that we said or did might come to them and inspire them and be something of, of a hope. You never know what God can use in, our, in your life what he's doing now and what he may do later with your faithfulness. Although there may be no explanation right now for it, or you may not see it, God does things prophetically when we're not even aware of it. So that's a a great thing to think about. But the point here is that Jesus is the surety of a better, a better, a better, a better covenant. Surety means what? It's like, Guaranteer, uh, someone who pays the bail. Or if you go to jail and you need bail, here's the surety. The surety comes and says, I got it. You can go free. I got it. And so we have that. And it, covenant was a covenant, it is an agreement. And the agreement of the new covenant is incredibly blessed and full of blessing, and full of privilege, and full of power, and help, and grace for us, and so much that we don't normally consider or take into account, and that's why we walk around with little hope sometimes, because we're not taking advantage of the agreement and what Jesus, as the uh, guarantee the surety, provided for us. He said, well, I want to know more about that. Well, that's what next week is, when we go into chapter 8 about the better covenant. What that entails. But the first thing you understand is that this better covenant made a way for us to have connection with God, to be restored in fellowship, and to receive all we need from Him because we have a high priest. And it's not an imperfect high priest that can mess up or die, it's one who is everlasting in the order of Melchizedek. So, verse 23 to 25 draw this out to a better clarity, I think. Says in verse 23, by so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Let's go to 24 and 25. Um, 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Here is the blessing. There's no chance of his priesthood ending. We don't need to fear a change in the guard. Joseph had a good pharaoh in the book of Genesis, but Moses had a bad pharaoh. Ah, There's always a change in leadership. Sometimes we've had good leaders, and there's a change in leadership, and it's just, it can be unnerving. The next vote uh, the next life situation, whatever it is. But Jesus is our high priest forever. There's no changing it. There's no taking it away. There's no voting him out. There's no assassin's billet going to take him. There's no change of mind for him because he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord swore an oath. It's impossible for the Lord to lie, but he swore an oath. According to himself, this one is going to cover it be There for all time. It's never ending. That means it's uninterrupted, flawless function. That you have someone who is interceding for you and always interceding for you, always before the throne, so that we can have the uninterrupted, flawless function of a life in God and a relationship with God, fellowship with God, and it doesn't have to diminish or ever be interrupt, cut off. And when we are in Missouri. Uh, we couldn't get cable internet, so we had to look into satellite internet. Have you ever have satellite internet? You know, it's more expensive than cable, and you have limited data. And so this was like, oh well, it's better than nothing. So we had limited data, but I always had to be fearful about: Do I have enough for this? Do I have enough? And, and is it going to last enough for me to get this thing done and all that? And at the end of the month, when the data is getting down to a lower level, they start to slow the internet down to let you know you're getting close to the end it's like you're always in this tension of i i got to be careful i got to use this why i got to really be on my toes and guards and and this is kind of you know how is under the law under the old covenant you know am i am i doing everything right did i miss something here if i provide this if i have i not paid attention all this stuff but when we got cable unlimited internet all that stress is gone it's like oh And this thing works great and it's fast and it keeps going and and it's uninterrupted and jesus always lives to intercede for us he's able to save to the uttermost to the end that means completion there's something in your life you don't like he's going to complete he's going to perfect the work he has begun in you is there a situation that's not happening so well He's going to save you to the uttermost. Whatever this situation does, whether it's resolved or whether it takes you out for a moment, you're still set because he always lives to intercede for you. He's going to save you to the uttermost. The whole point of the high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, is that Jesus, he is still there. Do you you feel like you messed up? He's still there. The high priest is your go-between. He's the mediator. It's It's uninterrupted. Do you need help? He's still there. We have hope because he's still there, and it's never ended. He's not going anywhere. And you say, well, is he interceding for me? How can He's probably tired of me. No, he's protecting his purchase. He shed his blood for you. He went to the cross. He humbled himself and went to an obedient death in the blood, sweat, and tears of this world and suffered the corruption and misunderstanding and went through the greatest extreme measures of pain and separation from God. And it was because he loved us and purchased us. And now, is he going to forget us as he intercedes? He's protecting his purchase. It's not just the love for us, which would be enough, but it's also his own investment. He's purchased us. He's protecting us. He's seeing his investment through. He made an investment in us. He, He was the tithe on our behalf. So we give back to him, and we invest our life for him. And this is the glory that he never stops And you don't ever have to fear a change in the guard. You don't have to fear the imperfection or uh, the low quality of the Old Testament priesthood because this is the highest thing you could have. This is the better hope. And if you have this better hope, you can make it through today because he's with you. He doesn't die. He doesn't leave. He doesn't forget. He saves to the uttermost. The question is, will we go with him to the uttermost? Will we believe him for the uttermost? Every day we're tempted to believe he's, that's it. That was the end. My data has run out. It's tempting. It happens. But you know what? We're still here. He still has us going. And I'll bet you a year from now, that thing you thought had run out was restored, replenished. He he got you back up. It's because he's seeing us through. This is a, a journey, but it's a victorious journey if we understand that the new covenant is for us and not against us. Our intercessor is for us and not against us. So the final verses 26 and 28 says, for such a high priest was fitting for us. Fitting for us. God knew exactly what we needed. He knew our our weaknesses. And he knew what what would make the void, fill the gap, and make up the, the difference. So he he provided a high priest that was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests in the Old Testament to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for his people. For he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son
1: who has been perfected
0: forever so you take the good news of all this that his uh you know his qualifications of priesthood in this chapter we're talking about is that he was like Melchizedek he has no beginning no end he's the king of righteousness and peace but that endlessness is what we're ending on here the endlessness endlessly intercedes for us and he endlessly is ours for the taking to walk with and be with and to overcome with but besides those qualifications which should give great hope to the Hebrews who needed to know they were on the right track and we need to know we're on the right track because the world certainly isn't on this track but we know we have what a friend in Jesus we know we have a savior we know we have a king But besides that, we we close the chapter with a few more qualifications. He was holy, which means set apart. There's none like him. Who are you aligned with? You're aligned with one who is none like, the highest of the highest. He's harmless. Never hurt anyone. Only desires are good. Only desires are good. He's undefiled which means without spot, without fault, without blemish. it says he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And separate from sinners, the perfect man, the perfect man who was able to offer himself once because of his perfection. He didn't have to go over and over. And he saves us because he was the perfect man. He had to save himself if he wasn't, and we couldn't partake in that, be a part of that. That makes him also higher than the heavens. That means uh, the most glorious and exalted. You look at the heavens out there and you see the glorious stars in the night and you think, wow, it's it's awesome. And the the heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord. And he's above all that. He created that. He made that. He is the highest. And that's who we're in league with. And the world wants us to feel shame and persecute the Hebrews. They want to persecute us. They want to mock and things like that. We need to remember we're in league with the one who's higher than it all. And that makes us higher than it all. You see, we looked at those qualifications. We were not holy. We were not harmless. We were not undefiled. And we certainly weren't separate from sinners. And we were lower than the, some of us were lower than the lowest. But this one, this high priest, brings us into his qualifications. And it brings us <coughs> excuse me brings us into a place that now we are holy we are harmless undefiled separate from sinners because we are in christ we are in christ and if we're not we are becoming all of this is because it's a high priest that was able to keep going and not just finish with the old testament customs having their own lives needing more help and then coming to Jesus needs no help. His life never comes to an end. He's fully engaged for us. He's not against us. And with a friend like that, with a Savior like that, we can endure and go with a greater hope, the hope that tethers us to the most holy places we looked at last week, the anchor of the soul, the hope that can get you through is the hope that Jesus cares, Jesus loves, and Jesus is interceding. And his whole work, his whole office, his whole function, is so that we could be reconciled with God in a fellowship with Him. It's ours. Will you take it? You can become even greater when you understand the grace that's involved in this and the new covenant. And that's what we're going to explore next week. The new covenant has changed everything. And yet so many times we live in this beat myself up Of the high priest who never ends in their seat, we can. It's just a matter of getting our minds renewed and letting him do the change. We don't change. He does the changes. That's the amazing thing. I can't be wholly, undefiled, or separate, but he can do that in me. And that's a lot easier than me going, Oh, I gotta do something. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us, that you are for us, not against us thank you that we have your presence your acceptance because of your priesthood and that we are in fellowship with the living God, the mighty one, the holy one of Israel, the one who's higher than all the heavens and that will have all the glory in the end and even share that with us who never deserved it. So we give you praise and thank you for that. Help us, Lord, if we go into our week to know your presence, your intercession, and your encouragement in our lives to help us in these trying times. And may we bring others in as a result of your overflow in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we uh, sing the song,